Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Thank you for allowing me to preach, Pastor, tonight. I hope, I hope with the help of the Holy Ghost that God will, will just allow us to communicate what he's placed upon my heart. This is a, this is a message that was birthed years ago that I never preached. And, um, and so we'll see how it goes tonight. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. I'd like to first turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. I want to just brag on my lovely wife because behind every man, whether good or bad, is an amazing woman. I will just say that. And so uh, thank you for leading worship tonight. I love you very, very much. I give honor to both of my boys, Grantland, and uh, who's back there at the sound booth. Thank you for your worship and thank you for your commitment to excellence. Winston, who is not on the front row, but he was supposed to be on the front row. He's sitting back there, but we... We love you very much, dear son. And, and uh, where's, where's the girl? Where's my girl at? And uh, we're so honored to have uh, this precious young lady that lives in our home. And she has brought joy. And uh, she has brought what we never had. Uh, she's brought a little girl into our presence. And um, we're very thankful for that. Amen. I'd like to for you to look at the book of Acts chapter 16 verse 16 and then we're going to uh, turn to numbers 22 5 and 7 we'll read and I want us to focus on this it says in the book of Acts now this is a very interesting passage of scripture where we find that there are these incredible apostles of Christ we know their name because they were stuck in a jail at one point and that story is is legendary among apostolic believers and readers of scripture and theologians and that jailhouse was dark and musty and there was no way that they were going to get out without the help of the Lord and what did they do when it came that time called midnight they begin to worship God and that prison began to shake and God released them but this however is kind of the culmination of that because this is where it leads us to the finality of that story but here's the beginning and it came to pass As we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her master much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servant of the Most High God, which shewn to us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee. In the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. Then I want us to turn to Numbers 22. I really just want to read uh, one, one verse, and that would be, let's just focus on verse 7. And this is a story of a man by the name of Balaam. 
This is a very interesting passage here in verse 7. It says, And the elders of Moab, this is a foreign king that is bothered by the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, that they may overturn and overtake his kingdom as they had done many others. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Medan departed with rewards of divination in their hand. They came into Balaam, spake unto him the words of Balak. I'll finish it without reading. What did they ask? They said, we, we need a prophet because the children of Israel have a prophet named Moses. And they wanted him to do spiritual warfare against these people that possibly unbeknownst to them, God had sent to conquer the very land that they dwelt in. I want to preach with the help of the Holy Ghost, this title, I'll pull it directly from this verse, Rewards of Divination. Can we, before we're seated, can we just lift our hands and close our eyes? And I want all of us together just to ask God's Spirit to begin to minister and speak to us. Come on, we need the move of the Holy Ghost tonight, Lord. We thank you for your presence that we felt, the touch that's been upon us already thus far in the service, God, how you poured out your Spirit and you inhabit the praises of your people. God, I pray that your word would be fulfilled tonight. It would be fulfilled in the very form of faith that you'd begin to build and bring that to a culmination of, of experience in your presence, in your spirit. I pray, God, that you would do a great work in our midst, and I pray that you would encourage and uplift. I pray, oh God, that you would let us to see that you indeed can break off the chains that do bind us, and I pray, Lord, that you would give clarity this voice, we give you glory and honor. And everyone said in Jesus' name, you may be seated. I, I want to start this message off. I know this is going to be kind of odd, but I, I just want to make the record straight because I, I love animals. And I know that's an odd way to start any message off, but and maybe, maybe that was a very loose term on this word that is so powerful, at least to those that believe in the word of God, love, I love animals. I made the statement one time in front of an elder minister that's very close to my wife's family. As a matter of fact, we've made that statement multiple times, how we love something. And, and I'm not against loving things, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's been times I said, I love apple pie. I love pizza. I love that cappuccino that I get at Quincy Coffee at Indiana Bible College. And by the way, if you didn't know, we now have a legit coffee shop on the campus of Indiana Bible College that's being ran by none other than Sister Moretta Nelson. Wave her hand at us, Sister Nelson. And if you want the best latte in town, that is the best latte in town, bar none. Praise God. So please stop on by and visit our campus. Hallelujah. What's the hours between 8.30 to 5? Hallelujah. Amen. So please join us for a wonderful cup of coffee. All the proceeds go to Indiana Bible College and the Quincy Coffee Scholarship. Amen. Where was I? Oh, loving things. Yeah. I made that statement and this minister rebuked me and he said, you don't love things because things cannot reciprocate love. So you have to love people. That's what he said. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to be intimidated by this, Brother Lopez, or ashamed of it. But in our house dwells a little fluffy critter. And one could even accuse me of 
loving a dog. My wife said, amen. But the other night I walked in and guess who was talking in a really odd voice as she was pulling on his ears. It was my wife. I think maybe there's something there too. But I like animals and it started out as when I was a young kid and I'll never forget this time. You know, I'm going to tell this story, but I know that you're not going to believe this story, but I'll tell it anyways. I come from a small town, small town, and me and my friends were playing football out in his yard and there were three of us. When you live in a small town, you can't have a football team. So three of you play football. If you've never played three on zero football, then you don't even know what football is about. Isn't that right? On the mission field, brother Gibbs, you just kind of have imaginary friends out there. We were playing football and as we're tossing the football to each other and scoring touchdowns and winning Super Bowls and, and we'd already exhausted the whole basketball thing. And so now we'd move on to another sport. And, and uh, when you have only three people, you just move on from sport sport to sport. And, and I was out there throwing the football with my closest friends. And, and I saw this bird resting in a tree that was not like any other bird I'd ever seen. It was bright green with a red head. And, and, and it, I, I just couldn't even help myself. And I missed the football as it was thrown to me. And I, I kept walking closer and closer to this tree by the sideline. And it was actually the tree was the goalpost, but it was kind of by the sideline. You know how it is in backyard football and, and everything becomes a goalpost. And, and I walked over to it and, and I looked at this bird and, and this bird flew out of the tree and landed on the ground right next to me. And I thought, what are, what are the odds of that? And so I reached down and put my hand out and that bird flew up and landed on my finger. And I, and I, I, I put it close to my chest because I didn't want to fly away again. And, and that bird began to crawl up and stood on my shoulder. I didn't even know what to do with that. So I walked into the house where my mom and my best friend's mom, and I said, look, I found a bird. <laughs> I kept that bird. Y'all don't even believe this story. I, I have my mom on speed dial. I feel like I really need to call my mother and just verify that this truly happened because I, I, I found a wild parakeet and I named it Herbie. Now, you know, I'm not lying. If I come up with a name like that for a bird, it, okay, it's ringing because I need to verify this. I don't think I can. Hey, I, mom, I have, I have a question for you. I may or may not be preaching uh, behind the pulpit of Calvary Tabernacle. Uh-oh. Um, well, I hope it's not going to be that bad, but just be careful what you say. Um, I'm trying. <laughs> uh, I, I have a question. I want to make sure that I can verify that because I feel like that if I can verify this story, everything that I'll say from here on out will be true. Fair enough. Uh, okay. okay. I was out playing football and um, I found a bird, a, a right. parrot like bird, and I kept it. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Came oh. right down and sat on your hand. Thank God. All right. <laughs> it's absolutely. The, well, thank you, Mom. I appreciate it. And I love you. Thank you very much. I love you, baby. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. All right. Bye. All right. <laughs> she, still, she still loves me. Um, so I. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're still going to be Mama's baby. So it's all right. <laughs> she loves me too, baby. That's what she said. And uh, if nobody else loves you, chances are a mom will. And uh, praise God. And, uh, and so I've loved animals and, and I like animals. I, I like to hunt. That doesn't mean I hate animals, by the way. Um, 
I, I do like to eat animals as well. I, I love all of that. It's goodness. And the Lord said, uh, slay and eat. He told the apostle Peter, I think that applies to every living human being. As a matter of fact, if you're uncomfortable, you don't know where McDonald's hamburgers come from. Nobody does. So don't feel bad. But but I do like animals, but there's one animal that I have a problem with. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily scared of this animal, maybe, probably, but I have a problem with this one particular animal. It's not really an animal. It's, it's actually disguised as an animal because I am truly convinced what the scriptures tells us in Genesis, that this animal has origins that are horrific. It actually is something that's so diabolic. I can't even believe people would keep this animal as a pet in their house, but that animal is simply a snake. I absolutely detest snakes. And my grandfather taught me this. He, he told me, he said, he said, the only good snake that's right. And, and I just can't help myself. I, I, every time I see those snakes, I think that would be a great belt or I'd like to get some cowboy boots made out of that right there. And, and I don't care for those snakes. And I even moved to Alaska to get away from snakes. I'll never forget the first time I went out fishing in Alaska. I was walking through thick brush and, and uh, the whole time I'm walking through the brush with my fly rod, I'm, I'm doing this number because I'm looking for water moccasins and copperheads. And, and it dawned on me, I shouldn't be looking for that. I need to be looking for something that's huge, brown, and hairy. <laughs> a thing that, that'll eat you. That, that little, there's no snakes in Alaska, or so I thought. Brother and Sister Carney were pioneer pastors in Alaska, started churches and opened up churches in Alaska. And Brother Carney had passed away, and Sister Carney was living in Fairbanks, North Pole, actually, area. There's a place called North Pole, Alaska. It's, Santa Claus does not live there, so don't try it. But <laughs> North Pole, Alaska, and she has an apartment that she gets, and her wonderful daughter and, and son are pastors. They're the Bagwells, and they pastor a wonderful church in Fairbanks. And this story was told to me, and this is the account that I'll give you. She had noticed in her apartment that she lived in, it was a two-story apartment with more than 20 units and she said, I felt like something was watching me for weeks. And she said, I'd go to bed at night. And she said, I just felt eerie that something wasn't quite right. And I prayed and asked God, and I thought maybe it's spiritual. And she said, I, I just didn't feel safe in my own apartment for the first time in my life. And, and she said, she came home from a rival service and it was late. You know how church goes. And then you go out to eat and it's late and she's in her home. And, and she said, I, I, I noticed that there were things odd missing and she said there, there was the picture frame that was crooked on the wall that was right above the dresser. And she said, and then I noticed on the table, the salt shakers had been knocked over and that had happened several times. And she thought, I thought, well, maybe we had an earthquake that I didn't, I didn't know about. And she said this night when she came in, there was a picture frame that had set on her nightstand that was knocked over and she set that back up. She was so tired. She drifted off to sleep and she turned the lights out and rolled over and was ready to sleep soundly for the entire night. And all of a sudden she heard something fall right next to the bed and fear began to creep into her heart. And she thought, Oh no, there's someone in the room with me. She immediately began to think someone's trying to break into my apartment, trying to steal my goods. So she very carefully reaches over to turn on the light. And when she reached over, she thought, I don't remember leaving my purse on my nightstand. And as she put her hand upon her purse, she said, the purse moved. And she said, I let out a scream and I jumped out of bed and ran to the door. 
And before she ran out, she turned and flipped the light on. And there hanging off the nightstand was a python that was draping onto the floor. She screams and runs out of her apartment and beats on the girl's apartment next door. And the girl comes and, and she said, what's going on, Mrs. Carney? And she said, there's a snake in my room. It's massive. And she said, oh, Sister Carney, Mrs. Carney. She said, are you really sure there's a snake? She said, no, I don't have dementia. I'm telling you, there's a snake in my apartment. You, you've got to come. And, and she walked into that apartment very confident. And when she walked in, that snake was now crawling out of the bedroom into the living room and that girl screams and she almost knocks Sister Carney down and she runs out of the apartment. Ladies and gentlemen, snakes live in Alaska. No, not really. Because as the story goes, after the police arrived and, and the female police officer walked up because the two male police officers were too scared to go in and get the snake, she walked in, true story, she walks in and found a six and a half foot foot python and draped it over her shoulders and carried it out and come to find out it had been missing from the apartment that was upstairs all the way at the end of the complex for several months. If that doesn't just terrify you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what does. I hate snakes. I wish every snake was pro I know they're probably going to cause the rat population to skyrocket, but I just wish all of them were dead. But you want to know what I hate more than just a physical snake? I hate the embodiment of a snake that we find in Genesis. Because I'll tell you what snakes represent to me. They represent Satan himself. Now, I'm not talking about a physical snake, but I'm talking about a spiritual snake. Ladies and gentlemen, we know this, that there is an enemy that would love to slither his way into your heart and destroy everything that is good and righteous and holy. But there comes a moment where we need to stand up and rebuke the spirit of Python and say, I'm not interested in you wrapping yourself around my life and crushing out the spirit of God. We need to rise up as a church and overcome the serpent that would so easily come against us. And we need to take authority and say, not in this place. Amen. Brother Andrew Romine told a story of a snake at a youth camp years ago. Thank God for Brother Andrew Romine. He talked about, y'all remember this story, some of you? He said there was a family, some of y'all waving, there was a family that had a python in their house. Y'all remember back in 1992 when Andrew came through Florida and knocked all those houses down and destroy that big reptile farm and all those begin to move out into the Everglades and now they're taking over. Do you remember back shortly after that, they had a picture of a helicopter flying over the Everglades and there's a, there's a snake that has swallowed an alligator and it popped. Do you remember that story? You know that that thing is running rampant snakes. They can grow up to these pythons, 33 feet long and weigh over 250 pounds. That's scary. If you live in Florida, you need to get out. That's your backyard. He told about these family that had, now if you have snakes in your home, I'm not against you. Just do whatever you want to do. If you want to risk your life, go ahead. Uh, people have snakes in their house. And I went to Bible school with a guy that had two snakes. One was eight feet long. The other one, five or six feet long. He ended up giving them to a reptile farm, but they lived in his bedroom. And he had the bedroom partitioned off in a wall. You want to know his name? Doug Hughes. That's his name. I hope he's watching tonight. He's from... 
He's from down in Bloomington. He had snakes in his house. And I said, Doug, what was wrong with you? He said, they're my pets. He said, I'd get them out. I'd feed them rabbits. I thought you'd feed them small children because that's what they're looking for next. And that's exactly what happened to this snake. This, this family had in the house and it got out and it would sleep in their bed. Now hear me, you think people have problems letting dogs sleep in their bed. Can you imagine letting a snake sleep in your bed? And they said one day, they usually just curled up at the foot of their bed and would sleep. But yet one morning they woke up and that thing was stretched out beside them and they couldn't figure it out. And, and so they, they thought, that's strange. And they didn't think anything of it, but that happened night after night after night. And they went to the vet and the vet said, get rid of that snake immediately because that thing was stretching itself out to see how long they were and if it could swallow one of them the next night. I think that's a true story. Brother Romine told that story. Where's his father at? He's, pretty, he's very truthful, isn't he? No comment. Call him up. Call him up right now on the phone. So we'll verify that. I hate snakes. I think I've told too many stories. Well, I just snakes just creep me out. They're slithery and they, they walk in and, or they slide in and, and, and oh, they just, I've had people put snakes around my shoulders before. I've had to hold those things and I just, I didn't like it. And and, and, and I thought they would be slimy. They're not very slimy, though. That's a good thing. And, and, but yet, they're just, there they are. And, and those pythons are something that just get me. I, I, I'm just, Bill Hobson's called me. Should I answer that phone? I'll just leave it alone. He's probably on the internet watching. Stop it, Brother Hobson. I know what you're doing. And uh, <laughs> and I find myself looking in the book of Acts in chapter 16 and verse 16, and we see a story of how Paul and Silas were walking through the streets and they were doing great things for the kingdom of God. And many had received miracles out of their ministry. And Paul and Silas were doing what God had asked them to do. And yet here comes a damsel that comes walking behind them. And if you were to read the scripture, you would think that there's nothing amiss because all that she's doing is just giving them accolades and pouring upon them the very things that they're pouring out and the servants of the most high and, and oh, look at the miracles they performed and they're doing the will of God. And you would think that's not, that's not a bad thing, but something clicked in Paul's spirit and said, this woman operates with the spirit of divination. And when you begin to dissect what that word means, divination simply means pythos. Where'd we get the root word python from? And what she was doing was she was acting in a spirit of a restrictor. You know what pride will do to you? Pride will wrap itself around you and begin to choke the life out of you. And Paul said, we're not going to tolerate this, not here and not now, because pride has no place in this church. Everything that we do does not connect us with the flesh or pride, and we need to make sure that we can get it out, but we've got to speak to it every now and then, because when the flesh begins to operate, it's not the will of God, and he looked at this young lady, and he began to rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and that same day, she was delivered. Why? Because he knew that this spirit of pride will begin to wrap itself around us, and it'll choke the life out of us. You can talk about boas because boa constrictors are different than pythons. I'm not going to give you a lesson in biology, but, but they say that boa constrictors, they actually don't crush bones when they begin to wrap themselves around their prey. They think that boa constrictors actually begin to shut down the circulation of the blood. Now, uh, you don't have to be a preacher to want to preach that, let me tell you, but, but what does pride do? Well, it begins to stop the very functioning of the blood. It, it cuts off the oxygen to the brain, and it begins to shut the body down systematically, but, but pythons, maybe they don't even do that. They're not even really sure. They think that they begin to, they don't crush bones they know that 
but they begin to take its prey. And every time they begin to let out breath, it squeezes a little tighter so that they can let in breath. And it begins to restrict the movement of the lungs. I'm here to tell somebody, you've got to watch out for pride. There's no sense coming to church and allowing pride to operate in your heart. Pride to keep you from coming down to an altar. Pride to keep you from praying through. Let me tell you, there's not a person in this place that hasn't sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when we walk into church, we're all equal, saint and sinner. Doesn't matter how long we've been in this thing, you've got a right to come to this altar. Just as any minister of the gospel has a right, this altar call is your altar. Don't let pride keep you from doing what God is calling you into. But you see what they got right in the New Testament, they didn't get right in the Old Testament. Because when we see the story of Balaam begin to unfold, we begin to see something very strange happen. You see, Balaam was a man that heard from God. Some have preached this, that he was a pagan prophet. I don't believe that. I don't find any, any mentioning of that. As a matter of fact, where he lived was the very place that Abraham sent his sons back to, to marry daughters of. So that means there was connection. They understood who they worshiped. You see, Balaam heard from God. And he operated in this prophetic voice and he ministered into the people and their needs. Let me just pause right here. Just because Ukraine doesn't worship the way we worship or in the same language that we worship doesn't mean they don't worship the same God that we do. Just because it's separated geographically doesn't mean that we cut people off. That's why we're sending missionaries to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we're praying for our believers that are in Ukraine right now. You know what? I believe that this could bring a worldwide revival. I don't believe this is the end. I don't believe that God can't do it, but I believe that God can step in and the church in Ukraine can experience the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this time that they live in. So Balaam wasn't a false prophet. He wasn't a pagan prophet, but he was a man that heard from God. Now hear this. They came to him because Balak knew the only way to overcome the children of Israel was to fight fire with fire. He knew that he had to get a prophet on his side. They were led by a prophet. Moses was indeed a prophet of God. And so he was going to get his prophet. So they sent rewards of divination. It's amazing what the flesh will begin to allow when divination is a part of the equation. You see, Balaam belonged to this, this still numerous class of people. This class of people that we find in the church that know God. They actually fear God. They love God. But yet whose love and fear do not lead them to complete surrendering to God. They are convinced that God is a savior, but they're not converted. You see, there's people that walk into church and we even sit with them on the same pew. I'm not the pastor. Please, if I'm stepping out of line, please forgive me and I'll, I'll stop. But we have people that come to churches all the time that go through the same motions as every believer. 
But yet Balaam was a part of that group. He was a part of the group that could prophesy when it needed to prophesy. But yet his life was not living according to the plan that God had for him. We need to make sure that our life is consistent with the word of God. And we need to come into church and not just be convinced that God is Savior, that God is a Lord of Lords, that God is King over all. But we need to make sure that we apply that to the very fabric of our soul. We've got to make sure that we live consistent with what God has called us to be. God has called a church to be separate from the world. He's called us to be holy and righteous. God has called us to be separated from the ideology of this world, the system of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is looking for is not just one of the churches, but he's looking to return to find the church, a church that is spotless, a church that is prepared itself for the coming of Christ. There needs to be a moment where we step back on this Sunday evening and we begin to look at this situation that's building in Ukraine and there shouldn't be fear and worry but there should be hope, blessed assurance that this could be the beginning of the second coming of Christ and if you're not ready you can get ready but it takes pride that you've got to push out of your life to get to an altar of repentance. So let me continue. So Balaam was this prophet that they were going to use against the children of Israel. Some of you know the story. They bring him these offerings and said, we, we need you to do a favor for us. Balaam's first mistake is when he asked them to stay because he knew what the voice of God was going to say. He knew that God was going to tell him that, that these people are untouchable. You, you can't do what, what they're asking you to do. But he asked them to stay because he was okay with allowing the spirit of divination to get comfortable in his own home. He was okay with that snake being curled up in a coil at the end of his bed. And he thought, oh, I control it. There's, there's nothing wrong with just being around it. It's okay with it being here. It's a friend. It feels comfortable. Uh, he went to God and God began to reveal to him his plan. And God said, you're not going to do this. Don't, don't even think about it. And, and he came back to them and said, well, I'm sorry, but I can't accept your gifts and I can't do what you asked me to do. But again, they solicited him and said, come on, would you please? Isn't it amazing how we get comfortable entertaining the thoughts of the enemy the first time he comes in and begins to ask us, hey, why don't you just walk away from the church? Why, why don't you just begin to exchange uh, phone numbers with that individual? At work? Why don't you just become like the rest of the world? And when we begin comfortable with allowing things of this world into our home. It's like that serpent that we think that we've got control of, but you don't have control because the only thing in its mind is it'll stretch itself out one day and say, I think I can consume it now. And before you know it, the vice of the enemy will wrap itself around you and crush the life. God woke him up. He was trying to negotiate with the enemy. Negotiation never works with Satan. He always has an upper hand. We can try to say, well, God, I'm not going to go completely out. I'm just going to go a little ways. God, I'm not going to cross some boundaries, just a few that don't really matter. 
I've had too many students sit in my office as campus pastor and tell me, well, Brother Galleon, I don't understand. That's really not a heaven or hell issue. Oh, you may not think it's a heaven or hell issue, but when you begin to negotiate with the spirit of divination in your life, there's something that begins to happen. You begin to invite things into your spirit, into your home that you didn't know that you shouldn't. And before you know it, that thing is looking at you, wondering if it can devour you today or if it needs to wait a couple weeks for a tomorrow. I'm telling somebody here tonight, be careful what you've allowed the enemy to convince you was okay. Be careful what you've let into your prayer life. Be careful what you've let into your viewing. Be careful what you've let into your worship. Be careful what you're letting to set next to your children in your own home because one day that spirit of divination will reveal itself for what it is. It's a python. It's something that is going to choke the life out of you. In verse 9, God asked the question. 19, he asked the question. He says, who, who are these? Verse 9, who are these men that are with thee? That should have crushed Balaam awake. You see, when God has to ask you, what is this? What are you doing? What are you participating in? Who are these men? That should have been the very thing that caused Balaam to be struck in his spirit. Saying, who are these men? What, what, what are these things? What are these things? As a pastor, I dealt with too many issues of people allowing small things into their life. I've watched how great people that live for God and knew how to worship. I watched them as they danced in front of the altar every Sunday, and Sunday morning and Sunday night. I watched how at camp meeting they would get their blessing over and over again rallies and district events, these same people in the front just worshiping God. But at the same time, those people were allowing things into their life. Oh, I've watched it happen where the python was something that they felt we can control. Well, I'll just dangle it around my neck, the spirit of divination. I'll just pet it when I'm, when I'm comfortable because, you know, it's really something that I have control over. But I've watched those same people after time and that snake begin to wrap itself around. They couldn't handle what was there. They, they couldn't get it off. They couldn't pry it off their neck. And I watched how they begin to slowly drift away and they didn't dance so much in the altar and they didn't pray like they used to. And then their church attendance begin missing. And before you know it, we couldn't get a hold of them, though we called day after day. They'd never return our phone calls. You know what happened? The spirit of divination got a hold of them and began to drag them out of church. Oh, hear me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not just telling you a story that I heard. I'm, I'm telling you a story that I watched unfold, but my own eyes. I, I watched a man come in and tell me, I, I, I can't stay awake in church, and, and I don't know if I'll be here for prayer in the morning because I stay up all night on the internet, and I'm trying to play this game and his wife was doing the same thing but in but in the living room and here he is in a dark room staying up all night his wife's in the living room and they're playing their little video games online and before you know it they most both have met somebody and while they were coming to a Pentecostal church the spirit of divination had wrapped itself around them and before you know it they were both meeting up with these people they had met on a gaming site I'm here to say this we've got to guard our heart because in the last day though there will be a great outpouring of God's spirit 
Spirit, there will also be a great falling away. The church needs to make sure that we don't let our pride and arrogance welcome the spirit of divination to come in. We don't need a python in our church. We need to rebuke it and get it out. We need to stand for righteousness and truth. We need to make sure our life is connected to the source of our faith. So how does this work that a prophet could miss it? Because God at times answers men in the exact way that their idols ask them to answer in. Oh, hear me. We find in Ezekiel, the 14th chapter, verses 4 and 5 and 9. You can pull it up on the screen. God says, if a man comes to inquire, if he comes to inquire himself with his idols in his heart, he's setting a stumbling block. And that stumbling block will be set before his own face. That stumbling block that's set before his face, God's going to answer him according to the idols. He'll be taken in his own heart. And then he says this, if the prophet be deceived, and this should be a crushing weight that settles upon us right now. The Lord said, I, the Lord, have deceived him, and I will punish him. What is that verse saying? You know what it's saying to us? It's saying that if I put things up in front of God, when I come in and need an answer for prayer, I'll get the answer that my heart truly wants. When I come in and say, I need a voice to speak to me, a prophetic voice, and I put those idols and those things that shouldn't be in front of me, you know what God's going to do? He's going to answer according to what I worship and what I put in front of my face. And guess who's going to be the one that deceives God himself is the one that deceives the prophet. What is this word telling us? It's saying this, that we need to check our heart and make sure that we're not placing things between us and God, that we're not worshiping things that shouldn't be in church, that we're not magnifying things that are in this world, but we've got to make sure that we've kept our heart pure. And when I walk into church, I've got to get rid of the idols. That means if I've got something that I spend more time on than God, I've got to get it out of my life. If that's my car or my job, if that's some movie or some game, then I've got to remove it out of my life. Because God will allow the answer of what I want to be what's in my spirit, not what God has in store for my heart. What am I preaching? I'm preaching this. Sometimes you don't know what the will of God is. And you can't always find the will of God in your heart. Where you find the will of God is in his word. I'm asking every IBC student, every Calvary member. I'm asking every one of you, myself included. What have I put in front of my life? What idol have I put up when I walk into church and say, I need an answer, God. I need an answer. But this is what I'm worshiping more than you. I need an answer. But, but this is what I love more than you. You see, that answer that's coming is not the answer from God. Because God's allowed it to deceive me. So when we walk in and we say, you know what? I didn't feel conviction. I, I didn't feel like that God was really dealing with me. I, I feel like this is okay. This is acceptable. Oh, be careful. Because God himself has allowed you to be deceived. Oh, but what is it? Is our pride in the way? 
Is our pride in the way because we don't want people to see us stand up at an altar call and walk down to the front? I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. Please don't misunderstand, but I'm trying to get you to think. I'm trying to get you to realize what have we put in place of God in our life? What, what kind of spirit of divination have we placed in there that's slowly wrapping its way around us to where it's crushing the life? Some of us have, have woken up in the middle of the night and we can't breathe since the pandemic. I wonder if that's really anxiety or maybe it's because we've allowed ourselves to dream from what God has truly called us to be. Oh, you know what I believe? I believe God needs a church that is going to stand. I believe that God needs a church that's going to be a light in the darkness. And you want to know what else I believe? That Indianapolis is the darkest place right now that you could ever imagine. Because even 10 years ago, when I came to this city, it seems as if it's progressively made this darkening turn and it's going down a path of destruction. Oh, I've driven through some of the same neighborhoods that I drove through 10, 15, 20 years ago, even as a student. And those neighborhoods are not the same neighborhoods that are here now. There's something that's enveloping. But what this church has got to be, it's got to be a light in this darkened time. And we've got to stand. But before we can stand and before we can pray for the lost, and before we can reach the community that God allows us to live in, we've got to see, God, what is it that I need to do? Who do I need to become? And we've got to get the things that shouldn't be out of our life. We need to check our worship. We need to check and see what our prayers are consisting of because I believe this, that God is needing us to be a light in this world and we must reach them, but we can't reach them if we've let something choke the very essence of our life out. I'm asking the musicians to come. Balaam was a prophet. He was a good man. But Balaam didn't do what God had asked him to do. What was Balaam supposed to do? God gave him instruction. We find in Micah, the sixth chapter where the Lord begins to deal with Balaam. And maybe this is the conversation that God had with him every night that he laid his head down, although numbers didn't record it. But Micah does. Because in verse 8, he states it very clearly. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You see, that's what God is asking for every believer. What does God require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with God. I believe there's a call that's going out. I had the privilege of watching 414 students that gathered together. Some were there, not for the right reasons. I have no doubt of that. Some were there because they thought it would be a good time, have lots of fun. <laughs> Maybe see a cute girl or a cute guy. I mean, they're 16 to 18 after all. <laughs> There's some of the IBC students that were excited about them coming in, not for the right reasons. <laughs> But during chapel, after pastor preached, I watched young men and young women. And some of them, I know their story. Some of them, I, I know their parents. 
Some I've been in districts and they've come up and talked to me and told me a little bit about themselves. Others, even this past weekend, when I asked them, where are you from? Why are you here? Tyrenzo, they'd tell me. One of them told me, I, I haven't been in church very long. And the reason I'm here is because I'm just wanting to see what God wants to do with my life. And 414 of them. And after chapel on Thursday morning, I watched how some of them laid on their face before God and God began to birth something inside of them. There was a difference there Friday night. I felt it. You felt it? Chapel was amazing, was it not? Pastor preached to us, didn't he? Some of you, he stirred you up. I was watching you. Some of you, you just could, you like feel like you're going to explode with the Holy Ghost just all over the place. And some of you did. And I watched even some of you pour out your spirit and your face before God. But Brother Anderson, Friday night, it felt different in that place because there was liberty. From the first song, you could feel something begin to build the entire night. You know what it was? This is what I believe. I believe Thursday morning, somebody said, I, I'm, I'm not putting this thing around my neck any longer. I, 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 this thing has got to go. I thought I controlled this, but I realized that I don't even want it near me. Oh, how many walked into church for the first time? You remember back then. It's, you had to go back a ways. But you walked in that first time that you felt the presence of the Lord. You felt liberty that you'd never felt in your life. Nicholas, you remember that time you walked in a few years ago? You didn't deserve God. There was nothing that you could have done to get good enough to get God. But that first time you lifted your hands, you begin to feel something begin to break off of you. The chains of addiction, depression, and heaviness. Oh, I don't know your story, but I know some of their stories. But I believe there's people in this place right here, right now. That python has got you so restricted, you can't hardly even move. You can't even lift your hands because he's trying to crush the life out of you. Oh, I know it's been a journey, but you've let a little things in. And, and we've all been there. We've all been there. Because even I look at churches that I visit and, and I've watched some of those churches that make that progression a little bit further this year and a little bit further next year and a little bit further. Oh, but I believe the spirit of the Lord is trying to pull somebody back. Come on, there's a spirit in this place. I don't believe it's just for this generation. I believe it's for your generation because there's somebody that God isn't through. I know you feel like that you're past your prime, but, but God's here to tell you that you're not, that your ministry isn't over, that it's not time just to hit easy street and just sail through life. But God's saying, come on, I, what are you going to give to me tonight? What, what, what are you going to lay aside tonight? What's the weight that you're going to bust off of you? Is that python got you so bound up that you couldn't even stand out of your seat during the worship and make your way down to the front? Now tonight, tonight, right here in this altar call, because this is my altar call. 
pinnacle. Is there somebody that's bold enough to say, I don't care what the devil says. I'm not putting up with that anymore. But there's been things that have wrapped around me. There's, there's, been, a, there's been a spirit of divination that is trying to restrict me. At times I can't even breathe. I, I can't even call on the name of Jesus. Maybe it's your children that you're praying for. Maybe it's your spouse that you're praying for. But I believe somebody here needs to stand up on your feet and say, devil, you're not having this. No, not my life and not my ministry, but I'm breaking free. Come on, I'm not allowing that thing to be comfortable in my house and in my worship. I'm willing to lay aside that weight that's crushing the life out of me because I need a move of the Holy Ghost. One more time, I need to speak in tongues. There needs to be someone that says, I surrender all and all to you. There needs to be someone that says, God, I need you to speak to me. The Apostle Paul, he understood what pride was going to do. Pride was going to wreck his life. Oh, wouldn't you love it if somebody followed you around and talked about how amazing you are, what an incredible Christian you are. You know what Paul said? Paul said, you've misunderstood. That spirit's going to destroy me. That spirit's going to wrap me up and pull me to a place where I can't recover from. Oh, your bones aren't crushing, but it's choking the life out of you. I want every eye closed if this makes you feel better. Every eye closed in this place. I don't want you to name it out loud. But I want you to speak it in your mind, that very thing that Satan has wrapped around you with. That very thing that he's tried to trip you up time and time again. Come on, I want you to begin to pray it off because there's power that's in prayer. Come on, I want you to begin to rebuke it. I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. I pray against distraction. 